Thank you. It is, it is so good to be here. I, I'm always surprised when I get asked to come back somewhere, and uh, I wouldn't go across the street to hear myself, so it, it's such a great honor to be here. You know what, why I like coming here the best? Because they call me Dr. Dan Cochran. I am not a doctor. I'm not, didn't you know that? I'm not a doctor. Yeah, yeah. call me Dr. Mark. Okay, we'll do it. You know, and I went to Briarcrest. I barely made it through there. And, and then I went to Regent College, and it, it literally took me 20 years to get through there. So, you know, I, I, I tapped out there. I'm, but I love coming here because that's, that's how I get introduced, so it's good. <laughs> you know, I went to a movie the other night, uh, Jesus Revolution. I don't know if you heard of it. And uh, it's really the story of uh, a mega pastor down in the States, Greg Laurie. And it follows him as he was part of the Jesus People Movement the late 60s, probably on into the early 70s. And in that movie, it, it was really cool because I lived through that era. And, uh, you know, they talked about Chuck Smith and there's Greg Laurie and Lonnie Frisbee's in there and, and a band called Love Song and Chuck Gerard, who I, I really admired. And so it's just a great movie. I, my, my wife's out of town. Her dad's 100 and almost 102. She's looking after him for a couple of weeks in Abbotsford. So I had nothing to do on Friday night. And uh, I was peopled out, and I realized there was a movie at 10.50, or 9.50, I think it was. And I thought, I won't meet anybody I know there, so I'll go then. There's only four of us in the theater. It was a great movie. And there's some unforgettable lines, you guys, in there. One of them was Lonnie Frisbee. That's his actual real name. He's in heaven now. But he, he was preaching to a bunch of Jesus people, and he held up his Bible, and he said this. He said, there is life on every page of this book. There's life on every page of this book. I needed to hear that again. You know, let me tell you two things about this book. Number one would be this. This book, you should read present tense, not past tense. It's not a record of what God once said. It's a record of what God still says today. That's why you find in Hebrews, for example, when the writer of Hebrews, whoever he or she was, uh, um, quotes the Old Testament, the writer says, as the Holy Spirit says, not past tense, present. So when you read this, understand that when God had John, which we'll look at in a moment, write these words, he had you in mind and me in mind as much as the original hearers. This is, read it, present tense, you'll hear God speaking to you. And then, and then I think the second thing I would say about this book, which a lot of people have forgotten, it's 100% livable, 100% livable. And it'll change your life if you approach it that way. We're coming into 1 John, and there's life on every page of 1 John. And I think my, my text today that, that Mark um, gave me was 1 John chapter 4, and I think the topic is the Incarnation. So I'm going to read you um, just a few verses from 1 John 4. Now, what, what John does, and you know this by now, he's not linear in his thinking. So he doesn't go through one topic, then another topic, then another topic. He hits one, then he says, oh, oh, that reminds me of something else, and he'll go over here, then he'll come back to what he was talking about, and then he'll go somewhere else again and come back. So although he's talking incarnation here, uh, there's another passage in 1 John I'll look at too, that um, unpacks it even more. But in 1 John chapter 4, it says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God, 
because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. He's talking incarnation. God coming in the flesh in Jesus. Now, before we get into that, I think it's useful and helpful, actually, sometimes to take a step back and look at the big picture. See the, the forest, not just the trees. So if you, just let me remind you about 1 John for a minute. Written by John, probably the disciple, that's disputed, but the vast majority of really smart people say John wrote it. Um, Usually there's outliers, and those are usually people that need a doctoral dissertation or something, and so they, they come up with something novel or new, but it, it, most people will tell you John wrote this. It, it aligns so well with the gospel of John. Now, now John, I want to tell you a couple of things about John that, that to me are significant. One, he's the one person on the planet that we know of that heard the heartbeat of God. He heard the heartbeat of God. Like, he leaned his head against Jesus' chest. He would have heard the heartbeat of God. That's amazing. Second thing about him is when he wrote this book, he would have been an old man. He was the longest living disciple. He was older than Mark Maxwell when he wrote this. <laughs> Maybe even me. Um, most people would say he was probably in his 90s when he wrote this. Why is that important? Now think about it. He's had decades to reflect on the life and teaching of Jesus. He's reflected on the life and teaching of Jesus for decades. I think that what he's done is he's pondered that word from Jesus, follow me for decades. And what you have in 1 John is probably the best understanding that we have of what it looks like in real time to follow Jesus today. That's why this, this book is so important. Now, he, he was also a, a pastor. You got to know that about John. He wasn't a theologian. Maybe like we say Paul, though Paul was a pastor. He, he wasn't an apologetic. He writes as a pastor to his people. That's, that's the angle he takes. That's the lens he always looks through in this book, even when it comes to incarnation. So when he's going to talk about incarnation, he, he's not going to talk about it from a theologian's perspective. He's not going to get into the debates. He's not going to, you know, argue that way. And he's not going to stand up as an apologist. He's going to talk about incarnation from the perspective of a pastor, pastoring his people. Um, when you read the book, there's no indication anywhere of persecution from the outside. It, it's all about this seduction from the inside. There's these false teachers that are pervasive. They're everywhere. And, and they're actually, they've gone out from among them and they're trying to draw people with them. I think it's 1 John 2 and 19 would be one verse that indicates that. He, he says in 1 John 2, 19, they went out from us, but they didn't really belong to us. For if they belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. There was seduction from within more than persecution from the outside that he's dealing with. There's false teaching. Now, he talks about the false teachers, but he never tells us what the false teaching is. Doesn't tell us what it is. Um, the best guess most people have is, is what's known as Gnosticism, 
or some form of it. Gnosticism took so many different forms. But at the heart of Gnosticism was a denial of the incarnation, a denial that Jesus actually came from God, he was God, in the flesh. They denied that. They denied that. Gnosticism had different forms. One form of Gnosticism would say, you know, spirit was good, matter is evil. And so when it came to Jesus, the, the, the Christ spirit just, it came on him at his baptism, but not at his birth. And it left him before his crucifixion. That was one form of Gnosticism. Real incarnation is impossible if you believe that. Another form of Gnosticism was um, a, a form that said that Jesus only appeared to have a body, but he didn't really have one. In fact, they would say when he walked along the sand, he didn't even leave footprints behind him. That's how crazy they were. Another form said um, that there was more than one way to God, but Gnosticism at its heart was a denial of the incarnation. Now, before I show you what John says about incarnation, I just want, I want to make this point that when we, when we talk incarnation, normally we think of what John says in John chapter 1 and verse 14. The word, Jesus, God, Jesus, became flesh and took up his dwelling among us. Or as, yeah, I mean, how can you ever forget what Eugene Peterson said in the Message Bible? Um, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. That's what we think of. We think the incarnation started there. But actually, incarnation is all about God coming down. This is the, at the heart of Christianity. You have this God that comes down. Not, not a people that go up or an attempt to get to God. You're always dealing with a God that comes down. And that has a long history. Uh, it goes right back to the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, what do you have? You have a beautiful paradise, but you have God coming down walking in the garden. And Adam and Eve blew that apart. God's, you got to get this, God's heart, his longing, the ache in his heart, can I put it that way, has always been to come down and take up residence with us, with you. That's his heart. It's been there from the beginning. And, and then when that blew apart, he didn't give up on that. And when the people were in the wilderness, you remember that thing called the tabernacle that was in the wilderness, a tent? It, that, that is so profound what happens there. You have in, in Exodus this God on the mountain, Sinai. People are afraid to go near the mountain. But when it comes to the tabernacle, what you have is a God that comes off the mountain and down into the middle of the camp to live with his people on the chaotic, treacherous, lifeless desert. He lives with them there in their midst. All the other ancient Near East cultures, their gods were in the mountains. They're remote, removed from the people, but, but our God came down into the middle of the camp, took up residence there. He's a God that, that wanted to journey with them through all of life. Just as an aside to that, you know, if you were to, um, if you were to draw out the, the, the tribes in the wilderness, with you'd have the tabernacle in the middle, and the way the tribes are arranged, if you took a drone and looked down at it, you'd have this massive cross. The tribes spread out on each side of the tabernacle. At the heart of that massive cross is a place where blood is shed, and people can get to know God. I mean, the cross is always in God's heart. And then you have Jesus coming down. Um, in John chapter 1, the word became flesh. 
He ascends back into, up into heaven. It's not the end of the story. When you fast forward to the end of the Bible, what do you get? You get the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, and the whole earth becomes the holy of holies. That's why there's no temple. God lives with his people. Like, this is massive stuff we're into here, you guys. We're on a journey to the new heavens, the new earth, where you won't be able to go anywhere on this planet where the name Jesus isn't honored and worshiped and known. The whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. So incarnation is a big deal in the Bible. It stretches from Eden right through to the, the new Jerusalem. Now I want to show you how John deals with incarnation. Um, I'm going to go back to chapter 1, first four verses. I know you started there, but I want you to look at it this time through the lens of incarnation because this is how John deals with it as a pastor, not as a theologian, not as an apologist. Those are all important. But here he's going to deal with incarnation as a pastor. Let me just remind you of those verses at the beginning of John. That which was from the beginning. What John will do several times in this book is use that phrase, the beginning, that which is from the beginning. And what he's trying to do here, he's, say, he's making this statement. What you heard from the beginning, what was from the beginning, the person of Jesus being fully God and fully man, that, that truth is, uh, you heard at the beginning is meant to anchor you in the present. So what you've learned in the past, it, when, when you came to Christ, what you were taught about Jesus and what you were taught about faith in Christ and what you were taught about walking, hang on to that because what you were taught is meant to anchor you now in the present when you're tempted to go this way or that way or lured here or lured there. Let that which was from the beginning anchor you now. That's what he's saying. Then he gets, look at how he deals with incarnation. First thing he's going to do is he's going to bring forward his testimony. Um, that which was from the beginning, which you've heard, which you've seen with our eyes, which you've looked at, and our hands have touched. What he's saying is, we, we've seen him. We've heard him. We've actually touched him. You guys, he was real. That's what John's saying. He's, you got to believe me. We saw him, we heard him, we touched him. And the word he uses for touch is what you do and what I do when we go in the grocery store and we're trying to buy a couple of apples, we, we pick them up and we turn them over and we look at them and we, we check them all out and then we finally get the one we want. What he's meaning is we checked him out. We, we looked at him. Um, what we're telling you about Jesus being fully God, fully man, John says, I can attest that personally. And not only me, notice how he uses the word we. He said, actually, it's the testimony of all the apostles. We've seen, we've heard, we've handled, we've touched. Um, what he's saying is, listen, for 90 years, I've lived in the light of that. Our testimony is personal, it's unequivocal, and it's vital. He really is who he said he was. He's trying to anchor them. He's trying, to, he's trying to say to them, you know, don't go drifting off after these false teachers. I mean, they don't have it. We personally can attest to the fact that he was who he said he was. That's the very first thing John does. And then, and then I think what he goes on to do is he talks about the identity, the identity of Jesus or the identity of the word. Actually, his, his um, prologue here is very similar to his prologue in the Gospel of John. He doesn't name Jesus in either of them till right at the end. 
he uses the term word. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. He's talking about the word of life. Um, and actually, just as another side, when he talks about word of life, he, what he's doing is he's saying the message and Jesus are identical. You can't separate them. The message is Jesus. Jesus is the good news. Um, but he's talking about the word of life, and what he says is um, that we proclaim to you, the life appeared, we've seen it and testified to it. Um, and we proclaim to you the eternal life was which the Father has appeared to us. What he's saying is, is in Jesus, eternal life has entered humanity. Eternal life has made a real entry into our world. Um, and then he goes on and he'll say at the end, name Jesus. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. But what he's saying is, the word was Jesus, and Jesus was the one where eternal life entered our planet. So it's, it's always right to say, if you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. If you want to know how, um, how God would feel about your situation, look at Jesus dealing with different situations. Um, if you want to know what God is like, you look at Je Jesus was God with skin on. Um, fully God, fully man. And John is saying that's who he was. He's saying, so he's saying, we, we saw him, we touched him, and we want to tell you that his identity is exactly who he said he was. He's, he's the eternal life that's become one of us, walking the dusty streets of Palestine. That's amazing. That's amazing. Now, what's important about that? When you're a pastor like me, you deal with a lot of people dying. Um, we, we sat down and tried to figure out how many funerals we did in the last three years. We did 97 in the last three years. All the ones I do are not Christian. Some of the other pastors do the Christian ones. Um, and probably the average age is under 50. Um, really amazing. And often I've sat with people a couple weeks ago at the hospice, somebody that's about to die. And there's a lot of people that are afraid to die because they're afraid that God will somehow turn out to be different than Jesus. But what John is saying here is God is not different than Jesus. There's no, um, can I put it this way, there's no different God behind the back of Jesus. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they're one. Um, three persons who are one God. And so when Jesus came, he's telling us what God is like. He, God won't be different when you get to heaven than what you know about Jesus now. That's what he's saying. Now then John will go on and he'll add one more bit to this. And he, you notice three times in that prologue, he uses the word proclaim. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. Um, we proclaimed you the eternal life. We proclaimed you what we've seen and heard. The word proclaim there uh, is an interesting word. And, and what John is doing, he's getting very practical now with the incarnation. Proclaim is an authoritative announcement. That's what it means. It's an authoritative announcement that calls for action. For example, I was flying in to Calgary uh, not so long ago and from Vancouver. And every time you come into Calgary, you know it's a little bit bumpy coming, coming down. Well, it was a beautiful ride. And, and when we got somewhere just into the foothills, the foothills, the pilot came on and said, I need you to put your seatbelts on. It's going to be a bumpy ride right into Calgary. He wasn't asking us to turn to our neighbor and say, hey, what do you think? Should we do that? He wasn't asking us to uh, 
Maybe do it, maybe not do it. It was an authoritative announcement that called for action. That's what this is. An authoritative, authoritative announcement that calls for action. So what John is doing to them and to us is this. We can testify that he really was the Son of God. And we can tell you that in him is eternal life. We can tell you that he was fully God, fully man. Now, this isn't something just to pack in the back of your heads, put away. This isn't something to debate about. This is something to go out and proclaim. That's what he's saying. He's saying, our job is to give life. We've received life. Let's give life. That's what he's saying. We go out and we proclaim that he really was who he said he was. Um, that's something I need to hear a lot. It's so much easier for me to sit and read my theology books and meet with nice people and not worry about all the people outside that, that have no idea who Jesus really was. But John is using the incarnation uh, to push us outside of our comfort zone and say this is, a, this is a truth that has to be proclaimed. So if you were going to get really practical about this with John, I think John would say something like this. This is what you need to understand. Jesus is real and he needs to be experienced. He's real and he needs to be experienced. In fact, you can see that there. He says our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. The word fellowship there means to have in common. It means that we've, we've come into relationship with him and now we hold certain things in common with the Father and the Son. What are they? Well, life, eternal life. What else? Well, his interests, our interests. We're learning to love the things he loves and hates the thing, things he hates. Uh, purpose, mission. We, we, have, we, we, we become part of his family. We're experiencing him now and, and our fellowship with him is, is shaping and forming us into who we are and pushing us outside. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever experienced Jesus Christ? I mean, not just know this stuff. But really, do you really know him? I talk to Christians every week. At least, that's their label. But there's a lot of them that don't really know him. They know stuff about him. Have you experienced him? It, it, this isn't just information for our heads. This is, this is something that's to land in our hearts. And it's a relationship that we live out day after day after day. Remember I talked to you about that tabernacle and you remember in the, the, the holy place and then there was the holy of holies and there was a great curtain in between. And you remember when Jesus died, that curtain was torn from top to bottom, which made this fellowship possible. It means that not just the high priest on one day a year, but all of us can actually come in and kneel down to the person at the center of the universe and the most profound words that will ever come out of your lips or to look at him and call him Father. Father. That's an estimable privilege. One year we were in Israel and we had a tour guide named Yehudi. Yehudi. And he was taking us around all the spots. I don't know where we were, but at one point he stopped and he said, he's not a Christian, he's a Jew, a God-fearing Jew, but not a Christian. He turned to us and he said, so why do you Christians say that when Jesus died, the, the curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom? And I gave him the standard Christian answer. 
That means that because of the work of Christ, now anybody can, can walk right in to the presence. He said, maybe. But he said, I'm a Jewish father. He said, every Jewish father would know that if God really lost his son, he would tear his robes because that's what we do. If we lose our son, we tear our robes, he said. I never forgot that. You know, I come now to the Father, what I realize is I come right into the presence through the work of Christ, but it broke the heart of God to make it possible for me and for you to walk in. Broke his heart to see his son die. That's profound stuff. And I think what John would say is make sure you have life, first of all, folks. In fact, John would say, that's why I wrote my book. 1 John 5, 13, I'm writing these things that you might know that you have eternal life. How did he, what did he say at the end of John? John 20, he said, my purpose for writing the gospel of John is, is that you might have eternal life. That's, that's his purpose in the gospel. In 1 John, the purpose is not just have it, but know that you have it. And so John would say, just make sure you have this, you guys. You, you have it when, how can I describe this best for you? When you and God agree on the same things about Jesus. God, when he raised Jesus from the dead, was, was affirming everything Jesus said and did. That was God's great affirmation of Jesus Christ, that he was who he said he was, and he did what he said he was going to do on the cross. And God, God gave proof of that by raising him from the dead. God said, that's my son. That's the one that finished the work of salvation. When anybody agrees with God on that, when you and God agree on the same thing about Jesus and stake your life on it, you have eternal life. Not a matter of saying the right words or, you know, doing this. It's a matter of agreeing with the Father on who Jesus is and what Jesus did and letting that drive and shape your whole life. That point of person has eternal life. Now, the other outcome or application, I think of this, I think of this um, deal on incarnation would be what John says about we proclaim this. Having received life, it's our responsibility to give life. To give life. It's to make the announcement. It's to point people to Jesus. And not, not to church or not. Point them to Jesus. He's, he's really good at working with people you point to. Uh, you know. And I, I don't know where you start. Like I, can I tell you what we do at Crossroads? And I think I might have said this a couple years ago, but um, I hardly remember back there, and, and you might not even been here, but you know, we're, we're, trying to, we're trying to get a group of Christians in central Alberta to proclaim that Jesus really was who he said he was. And they're all afraid to go across the street. You know, we have, we have a team going out to um, Uganda tomorrow, and you, you get no end of people saying, I'll go to Rwanda, I'll go to Uganda. We're just struggling for people to go across the street. That's a lot harder. So how do you do that? You know what we ask people to do? We ask them to, every week, pray for three people by name that you know that don't know Jesus. Just pray for them by name. Start there. I once heard Billy Graham, that's how old I am, years ago in Sacramento, and he made this statement. He said, you know, when you, when you, when you see all these people coming forward to receive Christ, he said, we've done some surveys. He said, you got to understand that everybody that comes to Christ has had somebody pray for them. Everybody. Think about that. Everybody that's come to Christ said, you've had somebody pray for you if you know Christ. I, I thought that was really profound. And, and I got a call one day after that, 
um, from, from a lady, um, and she said, in our church in North Vancouver, I spent a lot of years in North Vancouver, she said, she said you know, I got a neighbor that doesn't know God from anything, and she, she wants to know God. She, could, will you come up and lead her to Christ? I said, Carol, you lead her to Christ. You know, I'm not the hired gun here, but for whatever reason, I went up. And I remember there's Rosemary Smith, and she's as vile and crazy as you could be. And, and I had to take two salt shakers with a bowl of sugar in the middle and say, this is God, this is you, and that's your sin. And we got to get that out of the way and tried to explain to her what Jesus did. And I don't know what happened, but God opened her heart. And she received Christ. It was amazing. And I said, Rosemary, uh, do you have any Christians in your background? Nope. Do you know of anybody that would have prayed for you? Nope. I thought, well, oh, I guess Billy Graham's wrong. And, oh, and they said, oh, I just said there's one crazy aunt, she said, down in the States that sends me a Bible all the time at Christmas. I said, oh, that's, that's the one. <laughs> you know, so, you know, somebody's always praying. You, you should pray for people by name. When we, when we built Crossroads Church, we, we, we got this um, piece of land on the highway, Highway 2 there, and, and uh, we, we didn't know what we were doing, really, but we, we had a... We had a service on the bare land before we broke ground. And during the worship service, we, we handed out surveyor stakes with a ribbon and asked people to write the names on there, three names, first names of people you're praying for. Then we pounded them into the ground. Then we put them around the property. And for, for a year and a half, you can go buy that property without seeing the stakes and knowing that, yeah, I'm praying for those people. We, we were only about 600 people in those days, but we counted up about 1,500 names that people were praying for. To our knowledge, most all of those people are in the kingdom somewhere today. God answers prayer, you guys. He, he, the people that you know and love that don't know Jesus, he does too. You should talk to him about them. Now, the second thing that we've, we've done is we've, just, we've asked people to have a, a minute longer conversation with people that you bump into. Grocery store, gas station, I don't know, wherever you are. Tim Hortons. Um, do you have a Tim Hortons in this town? You don't, do you? No, that's... <laughs> That's a, that's a deficit. Um, <laughs> though A&W coffee is getting better. But anyway, you know, wherever you are, just have a minute longer conversation. Say the Holy Spirit, if you're willing to go, I'm willing to go. You know, it started because I was driving through a Tim Hortons drive-thru one day, and, and there was a lineup behind me, and I don't, I don't know why I did this. But this girl handed me a coffee out the window. Her, her name was Amy. And I just, for whatever reason, said, Amy, how's it going today? And she looked at me. And she said, you come here a lot, don't you? Yeah. She said, you come here with your son a lot, don't you? Yeah, I do. I really like him, she said. <laughs> I said, some days I do too. And <laughs> I said, Amy, I go to Crossroads Church. She didn't know I was a pastor. I said, if you come on Sunday, he goes, I'll introduce you. She showed up on Sunday. <laughs> and I introduced them, and the feeling wasn't mutual. But, but I said that Sunday, I said, Amy, um, every Friday night at my house, we have a barbecue for kids like you, your age, that don't know God, don't go to church. And we just, we have a barbecue, we hang out. And then any question goes about God, about life, about sex, about anything. You, we, we, we go for it. Oh, I'll come, she said. Amy came for two years, Friday after Friday. Heard the whole good news about Jesus. Her family had busted up and she was living with her grandparents. They moved them away and they moved away and they moved her away. But 
Um, all that to say, for two years, Amy got an opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus. With just, it started with, hey, Amy, how are you doing? You know, if you by faith could get up in the morning and say, Father, um, I'm not much at this witnessing thing, but I want you to know I'm available. And I'll, um, you open the door, I'll walk through. Try a minute longer conversation. It's quite amazing the way sometimes that works. So let me try and wrap this whole thing up by saying this. That the incarnation, as you know very well, speaks to the fact that Jesus was fully God, fully man. But it's not a truth just to be stuck in the back of our heads or in a textbook somewhere or even to be debated only. It's a truth that's to be lived in relationship with this Jesus and a truth that's to be proclaimed. And it's the best news that anybody could ever hear. It's the only place where you'll find hope in our world today is in Jesus Christ. There's no other place where there's hope today than in the person of Jesus Christ. And I guess my encouragement to you today is just keep pursuing him. Follow him with all your heart. You know, I, I, wish, I, could, I wish I could do a, a do-over, a mulligan, and be your age again. Because there'd be a lot of things I would just toss and I'd just go for it. You know, you look at all the gods of money, sex, power, pleasure, you name it. None of them delivers like Jesus Christ. John says in him was life. And that life is your light. So today, I just, I just wanted to encourage you with that. And I know I've rambled a bit, which is, I guess I do that a bit. But I want to encourage you that um, what you're doing is one of the best things you ever do with your life. You're studying the word of God. You're learning to follow Jesus. Now take it and live it and share it. Sound good? Can I pray for you? Can we stand together? Father, today we just want to thank you again for your word. We remember that way back in Genesis 1, your powerful word brought life out of death, order out of chaos light out of darkness. And we pray your word today would do the same in our hearts, that it would bring life out of the dead places in our hearts, that you'd put light in there where there's darkness, that you'd order our lives in the way of the Lord. And Father, I pray your word today that what's of you, uh, you'd root in our hearts. What's not of you, you would just blow away. And so Father, I pray for these, these people that you would today please bless them and keep them. I pray that you'd make your face shine upon them and be gracious to them. Father, turn toward each one and grant them your peace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Amen.